0: Love you too. Listen, I holler at you. All right. All right. Bye bye.
1: Perpetually dodging your mother.
0: Um. <laughs> well, now she's retired and bored, so I have to.
1: Lot, she's got a lot of demands.
0: She's just. Can you do this for me? Has killer? she picked
1: up any ha- any like hobbies and shit in retirement?
0: She redid her whole house like in a week, which is weird. But
1: what do you mean redid?
0: I don't know. She just gets manic and. Just like fucking
1: redecorated,
0: changed the flooring. Oh fuck, that's, <laughs> like like hard a big, that's like
1: she paid somebody to come in and do it.
0: Yeah, well, no, she did it. And I think she changed her. She did her the flooring. My uncle, yeah, well, I mean, God, she, I'm sure she didn't do that part, but she she's probably the you know the director.
1: I can relate to the to the like manic i need a change of scenery immediately and yeah. since i can't uh, up and move my whole life right now i'm about to redo this whole house now yeah. <laughs> can relate
0: <Yeah. laughs> i love how you have your house done though
1: i love my place it, it is very it's a, a sanctuary and it's baby proof my nephews were there and they didn't i die. saw that i saw so, the spa you mm-hmm. didn't have a spa day yeah I lit candles for them in the tub. They loved it.
0: i love to have a damn bathtub. <laughs> Somebody light candles for me.
1: <laughs> yeah, those little shits are living the dream. Just like, all they have to do is just be whimper, just whimper, and yeah. then, like, whoever's, the, whatever adult around does whatever they want. Yeah. It's like, really, they just have no idea how good they have it. Yeah. And they just whine over the dumbest shit. I just got so, like, even when they're, like, when they're mean, one of them pissed themselves. It's like, they were mostly good. And and we had one major meltdown that was pretty rough. But what pisses me off the most is the whining. I'm like, you two little shits are living the dream life here. What are you whining about? It's like, Bubby touched me I'm like are you fucking with me right now? Are you trolling me? <laughs> I would literally just stare at them I'm like, What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> Bubby touch me. <laughs> <laughs> are you- Are are you fucking
0: I showed you on loop saying, Bubby, touch me
1: (laughs) touch me Literally with his foot, he just like brushed him on the couch. (laughs) (laughs) What is wrong with you?
2: (laughs) That's too good. Well, when you're that old it's everything is
1: everything. And the only toy they want the only toy they ever want is whatever toy the other one has. mm -hmm. That's all all they fucking care about. It's
0: just like it's just like me.
1: Oh Lord! Okay, how we?
2: All right, so I'm gonna.
1: Should we put it right here?
2: Yeah, put. Nah. <laughs> Testing. All right, cool.
1: Great. You, you can you, hear it, Tom.
2: Can you hear it? Yeah. Can you hear it at both? I can only hear it. At yeah, one. I can hear it in both. And I
0: don't want the world to see me. Oh God. Without my pants on. Because I oh,
1: got a
2: baby dick. Oh, You're staring at my boss from behind <laughs> as you eat my ass, and that's cool. Oh,
1: <laughs> Patreon visuals.
0: Sure. Oh, shit. That's why people pay us the big bucks. The perverted dumb- versions of popular songs.
1: What's that popular song?
2: I've been checking off for three years and I haven't come even once. <laughs> My balls are as big as coconuts. Oh, <laughs> the yeah. doctor won't let me go. <laughs> coconuts? <laughs> Could you imagine somebody who was just cranking it for three years and they never came? Let me listen, <laughs> let me
0: tell y'all about a little something called prostatitis. <laughs> tell you you
1: are perpetually.
0: It's no picnic.
1: You spend your life in WebMD.
0: <laughs> no, I have I have confirmed that is one of my confirmed
2: illnesses.
1: <laughs> one of many confirmed illnesses. No,
2: the only basically the only confirmed illness. But wait, what does this have to do with not jerking off for three years? Is it because you yeah, prostatitis
0: yeah. makes everything that goes on down there a little harder? So, yeah.
2: I, you mean? would think that it would be kind of pleasurable if your swollen if your prostate's swollen, but you come. <laughs> you would think that. <laughs> <laughs> Cause your asshole, like your sphincter, tightens up when you come. It goes, it goes like a sucker. Like,
0: <laughs>
2: I said that first initial. Yeah, yeah. What happens? You know everything down there, um, tightens up. But yeah, your asshole definitely. If you ever ever looked at your asshole while you come. That can't be easy. I don't
0: know how you <laughs> pull that off.
1: Mirrors, it's all smoke and mirrors. mirrors. Yeah. yeah, the
0: goddamn hell setup you got in your bed. You
1: basically <laughs> need a mirror to like really examine your vagina. So,
0: yeah, yeah, I think you were telling us about this one.
1: <laughs> you, I've told you about this one. I don't get this raunchy
2: when we record at my house. I don't know what it is about this room. It's just That's um. <laughs>
0: For some reason, I just thought you saying my balls look like coconuts is hilarious. It's really <laughs> dumb.
2: <laughs> I just thought it was so fun. Uh, yeah, it's it's uh, you should definitely get you got you got to have that sweet release. You well, know? let me just do, do a little PSA real quick.
0: All right, for I'm you.
1: gonna pull up the phone number. We're gonna okay, do that. So get Carry this out on.
0: But if you think you're too young for prostate issues, think again, guys.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, I'm here for a Triboli health tip. I've been. <laughs> Why I've, can't we just have a health hour?
0: I've been struck down in my early thirties, and I don't want it to happen to anybody else.
1: Damn,
2: dude, I'm sorry, Tom. So go get your doctor to finger your butthole and tell you what's going on. Back I mean, there. surely you kind of. How did you know? Did you go to the doctor? Like, well, Doc, I'm, I need a finger. I'll yes. tell you how I found out. My pee stream got weak about two years ago,
1: mm. and I was like, I've
0: had oh, a weak
2: shit. I've had a weak pee stream for like fifteen years. So you think it's... I briefly had kidney failure. That's
1: <laughs> Yeah, that's probably more for that's, the course.
0: That's probably what happens with that. <laughs> that's true. So I freaked out thinking, oh, God, do I have something on my kidneys? Turns out I'm just a prostate uh, pinching my uh, urethra off a little bit more than it should. Damn, yeah. dude. Yeah. Nothing you can do about it. They give you antibiotics. They don't work. Nothing you can do about it. Drink cranberry juice. No, I mean like not gonna shrink you. Oh yeah, you can't shrink. That I can prostate. pee fine. I mean, like my pee stream is more normal than. It they
2: has, don't have damn. like medicine, like some kind of cream you can shoot up there that shrinks listen, the prostate. Listen,
0: all uh, they can this do. This is a
1: great example of people with chronic illness get friends being like, "Can't you just? Can't you just? <laughs> <laughs> Did you get on? I heard." <laughs> Like constant,
2: right?
0: I, I'm not looking for anybody to feel sorry for. Them, man. No, I mean, that's...
1: no, I'm just saying. I, I mean, mostly because I do this. Like my friend has a chronic illness, and I'm always like, "Well, did you have you looked up right. non-Western? Well, like, what's a home remedy? And then it's like
0: but, uh, blah 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 my, CBD oil. Like, yeah, <laughs>
1: it's like well, my intestines are perpetually inflamed. That's so,
2: true. I've, you know. I, have, I have Crohn's disease. Yeah,
1: it's like <laughs> yeah, it's <that's laughs> not. A, a,
2: I have no less than, like, 12 chronic illnesses, and it's like, um, and it's like, every time someone says that, it's like, no, trust me, I've tried all I've tried, every, I've I've tried, tried everything. everything. <laughs> I've tried everything. i I've tried everything I can. I don't bad. enjoy feeling like a Phillips head
0: screwdriver's going through my gooch <laughs> every time I nut or pee, but, you know, that's my cross to bear.
1: Oh, God. Yeah. It always it reminds me, this <laughs> is ridiculous, of Tom Hanks in the Green Mile. <laughs> You remember? Like the whole movie, it's just like it's this awful fucking. You know what I'm talking yeah,
2: about. Yeah, I thought I was like, do you know it's not a comedy?
1: Yeah, no, <laughs> it's, like, it's not a comedy. It's ridiculous. And they, it's like
0: the the Green Mountain was all like, irony. It's
1: like they, <laughs> they like, like, you're supposed to be equally um, concerned for Tom Hanks' character, right? Because he, he, is in pain when he pisses you know it's just like like (laughs) Like
2: compared to the what's going right the man on death row his problems are very trivial (laughs) yeah
1: this is it's like oh they're both struggling and getting to know each other better it's like fucking this this is you know
2: yeah yeah i know what you're saying
1: they're so compassionate for one another (laughs) yeah like his dick and (laughs) is so stupid anyway. I'm glad we could stroll down that pop culture.
2: Yeah. That's a fucked up that's a fucked up movie. Yeah. Um mostly because I remember Spike Lee said that it was uh it was fucked up because it it does the classic um invokes the trope of the what he calls the magical negro. Like a black person who is imbued with like they're othered in the film, you know what I mean? Like they're they're not human. They're like sort of like magical,
1: and it's the yeah. only way to uh, like release them of being black it's It's kind of the same thing with black
2: girl magic it's in a weird fetish and it it helps the white people come to a point of like larger sort of transcendence or enlightenment it's also a very like white
1: savior
2: yeah I will say uh Barry Pepper's in that movie though and I fuck with Barry Pepper every movie Barry Pepper's in he's pretty good I
1: don't know I don't know Barry
2: Pepper who is he in Green Mile he was um he was one of the guards I think um He's the sniper in Saving Private Ryan. Oh, oh hold it. on a second. <laughs> he plays only reactionary yeah, roles. He plays yeah. only reaction. <laughs> well, he's got that ironically, look. like oh. is he a communist that only plays reactionaries? He's got that look. He's got that buzz cut look. Like he looks like he would be probably yeah. a Nazi. Yeah. <laughs> I still fuck with him though.
1: <laughs> when you're,
0: it's art. You know, art can be reactionary.
1: <laughs> How do you politely tell a friend they're starting to look like a Nazi? <laughs> <laughs> Asking for a friend.
0: <laughs> um, did they uh, do the, um, the comb, comb over with the skin fade on the it's side? feel like they
1: start using gel. Or... <laughs> oh, <laughs> like really slip oh.
2: <laughs> Gel. When's the last time somebody used gel? <laughs> I used to have a big bottle of it when you know when i was like in seventh grade God. or something
1: tell me you had frosted tips at one point oh
2: i had frosted tips <laughs> at one point oh absolutely God. did you not have frosted tips Tom?
0: i didn't have frosted tips because i know for some reason i knew it was a fad <laughs> like I, I wanted to
2: but couldn't pull the trigger damn i had fresh no i had a big bottle it was your
0: like
1: your hair's already blonde
2: <laughs> yeah i know it was even dumber because i was a swimmer at the time and chlorine will turn bleached hair like green, green or sure. orange yeah. and so it looked really really bad oh, wow. no i no, i had like a big bottle of gel It was like la LA looks, LA, la looks yeah and it was um like this big and you just squeeze out a massive palmful of it and
0: Wow, <laughs> well,
2: the worst—the worst
0: look I think in hair period is when a guy with thinning hair uses gel. Oh, Cause yeah, because it like kind of mats together what he has left, and you yeah. can see his whole scalp. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I stick with the pomade. Yeah, and it's it's uh, another tip out there, guys. If you're thinning or balding,
2: stay away from the gel.
1: You're <laughs> right. I, just, I think in general, just stay away. You're from right. The gel. It's
2: not good it's not, for any hairstyle. No. Yeah. It hasn't yeah. been good hot since In Sync. Um, they were <laughs> gelled the fuck up. You know, like Lance Bass. Yeah. Yeah. He had, he he was jailed the fuck up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Lance. Like, uh Speaking
1: yeah. of getting jailed the fuck up, let's cue up this call. We're Code about this to call. Make here. All right. So, Tom Hansel, um, thanks so much for joining us, uh, Tom. As we've joked, spent many years as an Apple shop filmmaker and um, a part of the radio um, team. And has several documentary films, *The Electricity Fairy*, um, and his uh, newest, *After Coal*. Um, just um, he just had a companion book come out, or maybe it's not out
3: yet. It it'll be released November the first. Oh, the great! The University Press.
1: All right, head of the curve here. You're about to drop your companion book um, with the 2016 film *After Coal*, and you teach down at App State, right?
3: Yep. Yeah,
1: I work with a mom faculty at the Center for Appalachian Studies at Appalachian State University. A man of many talents. <laughs> cool.
3: It's never boring, that's
0: for sure. You're going to have to plug us into that, same time. We're trying to uh, infiltrate <laughs> the app studies world, but they're giving us the Heisman, keeping us at arm's and length here. So yeah, they yeah. they don't
2: want us in. Uh, we're either too communists or too <laughs> vulgar. Um, or both. Or too irreverent. For example, um, I'm just going to go ahead and say, on this podcast, the official stance is, we don't care how you pronounce Appalachia. Say it however you want. Say, say Appalachian. <laughs> is that so, our
3: official stance? <laughs>
2: that's mine and Tom's stance.
3: <laughs> All right, well, well I, I stand corrected. I work for the Center for Appalachians. There you go.
2: <laughs> You're already learning. You're already getting the hang of it. Dude, just it's just you, for subversive purposes well there was a did you see did you i'm sure you saw this tom there was a uh an app state football game recently in um the the app state fan um c- crowd or whatever booed the ref when he said Appalachian state uh.
3: yeah, yeah i well i saw the clip on it was an away game at in charlotte and and i saw the clip it went it Pretty, got played pretty well here <laughs> that's hilarious they, that's yeah pretty. the football team called a timeout and the ref said timeout Appalachian State and the whole crowd went <laughs> <laughs> that's
1: pretty good so I, so After Cole is the name of the book stories of survival in Appalachian Wales um, and After Cole of course is at this point a multimedia project that's uh, taking you all about all over the world now <laughs> Um, you want to give us a little bit of the synopsis?
3: Yeah, well, the, the actual project began just as a, a conference that was combining academics and activists that were working on coal-related issues, and were continually confronted with this idea of, if we don't mine coal in eastern Kentucky, or we don't mine coal in southern West Virginia, if we don't mine coal, what are we going to do? How are these communities going to survive? And so we thought the whales might have some answers. And after the symposium, it was interesting enough that I thought it was worth making a film on. So we went and um, took about a year to raise the money and get a crew together and, and got over there and started started doing interviews. And I thought, of course, I would just find the, if all, all I had to do was get the, magic formula of whatever it was that allowed those communities to survive after the mine shut down in, in the 80s and bring it back to Appalachia and all the problems would be solved and obviously it was a little more complicated than that <laughs> um, those those communities I think are still still struggling and um, certainly doing better than some Appalachian communities but they they've lost population and are still kind of looking for that kind of high-end employment, um, employment with good wages, union wages, good benefits, full health care, all those kinds of things are, are kind of a, a continuing struggle for, I think, worldwide, um, something that we share. So, But it was interesting to see what kind of solutions that people found where local people were coming up with their own solutions to local problems and figuring out how they could access local resources to address those problems. So that part was actually pretty inspiring. And that's what it became, is this kind of, uh, the film is kind of a series of vignettes that people tell, swap in stories of what they ended up trying to do to survive and how they ha- actually have survived and kept their culture in this. And I think the, the book kind of takes it a little bit, a little bit further because you can get a little deeper into the history and kind of address some of the nuances and things like that that are really hard to do in a film because you kind of have to, have to keep things moving and, and let the pictures tell the story
1: in a film. Yeah. And just, I mean, to dig into that a little bit, I think what is in the book that may be, um, well, that is also in the film is that a lot of the solutions, as we talk about a lot on this podcast are unfortunately not local, but structural. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. I remember actually here at Apple Shop, you brought um, some folks from Wales, actually members of Parliament, and um, had a panel here in the theater with a couple of local people, um, and um, talked about basically the movie and and all of these themes. And I remember in the Q&A, one of our friends stood up. um, She had just helped open a, a local bakery. This was years ago, and she asked, like, what did you all in Wales see you know how um how were local businesses a part of incubating like you know economic renewal and all this like how did local what kind of role did small local businesses play because as a person who's who's opened a small local business and I remember um um God, I've met this woman, and I can't think of her name. It's so embarrassing. Was it Meyer? Yeah, Meyer. Meyer uh, Francis. Yeah. She said, well, really, they didn't play a role because they can't. <laughs> it's like, you, you, <laughs> they, uh, you know, really, this is, these are governmental problems caused by systemic. Like, these are systemic problems that need systemic solutions. And while local businesses are wonderful, like, they need support. Um, and we were all in the audience just like, oh, God. <laughs> this is a okay um, and then you recently did a um, interview with Elizabeth Cat, who is um, or I, I don't know if it was recently but um, uh, around the book coming out um, and we love Elizabeth here on the podcast she's been on a couple times but in one of the questions she asked you was about the big like um, in your experience being in multiple coalfield communities in two different continents, what were some of the like biggest similarities and biggest differences in communities? Um, and I kind of wanted to bring that up with you too and ask you to talk a little bit about this um, like labor organizing history um, as you have said, being some of the biggest differences. I think this comes up a lot on the podcast about um, what it what it looks like to really win a union battle. <laughs> Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, as we, you know, it's always difficult in any, you know, as organizers uh, ourselves, it's very difficult to measure winds uh, uh, continually. And, you know, I'm sure it's very complicated what went down in the U.K., but can you talk a little bit about that?
3: Yeah, well, first I think I want to say just a, a little bit of similarities is that in both coal mining communities, and actually in coal mining communities I've been at in, in other places, there really is this sense of community. I think partly brought about by struggle, by a common struggle. But people people have each other's back and, and value that. That the idea of looking out for your neighbor is an important thing. Is, is something that, that is shared internationally. And some of it's also expressed through through music. Um, and so you can really you know, kind of trace some common threads of music and, and song in both places. But a key difference um, particularly between the U.S. and the U.K., and particularly between Appalachia and Wales, is the, the legacy of the union and the strength of the union. I mean, in the U.K., um, unions, the miners' union, but all unions, the trade union movement, was so strong that they formed their own political party. It's called the Labour Party. It actually still exists. It's not in power right now, but, um, but it's still a functioning political party. And after World War II, created a national health care system. And, in fact, it was the brainchild of a Welsh miner um, named Anilin Bevan. who had been a miner and got elected to Parliament and then as, as a member of the Labour Party. And when the Labour Party came to power in 1946, he said, what we need is health care for all, universal health care. And he drafted the resolution and got it passed. And to this day, the National Health Service is one of the models for in national health care. It's not perfect, but it's certainly functioning. And in terms of entrepreneurship, it means that people who are trying to start up businesses in the U.K. don't have to figure out how they're going to pay for health insurance for their employees because that's covered through the national health service. So I feel like that's really a key difference and and huge in terms of what options are available after mines shut down, what options are available in a post-cold economy.
1: Yeah, your, ab- your ability to run a small business—even you have health care. <laughs> yeah,
3: exactly. Um. Yeah, and I think the other, the other um, key part of that is that also during that same time, when when the labor government was in power after World War II, all of the essential industries were nationalized. Part of that was because they had been so decimated, bombed, or bombed out by the Nazis during World War II that private industry wasn't able to rebuild essential industries like coal or steel or the auto industry, and so the government took them over. But as a result, it means that, particularly in South Wales, a lot of that land that was owned by coal companies ended up in the hands of the National Coal Board. When all the mines were privatized in 1994 and the National Coal Board was dissolved, a lot of that land still stayed in public ownership. And so as a result, um, you you all went to the the Dove Workshop when you were were traveling with me over in Wales. The Dove Workshop is an old coal mine office, an old strip mine office. But when the mine shut down, it was owned by the local council, by the local government. And they were able to do a very cheap long-term lease to the Dove Workshop because they had a vested interest in keeping something happening in that community and not just abandoning the community because that would reduce the tax base for the local government. And and so that kind of level of public ownership really makes a huge difference as opposed to in in Appalachia where somewhere between 50% and 75% of the land is owned in central Appalachia is owned by outside corporations. And you just don't see those corporations making... Their facilities available that were coal mining facilities, making them available for local community groups to do um, works for the public good. I think that's a huge difference, and and really has kind of trickled down in in many different ways, but particularly in just what opportunities are available in a post funding. environment.
1: Yeah. And I feel like this is definitely not, I mean, it's just, it's incredible. It immediately gets my wheels turning about what our communities would look like, you know, if any of these things were different. Um, And so I wonder, you know, you have been witness to all of these exchanges over the last several years that, you know, you talked about how there's been a history, a really beautiful history of exchange between people here and people in Wales um, kind of birthed out of the out of Helen Lewis's work and um, John Gavinta, the, the grandmother of Appalachian studies. Oh, Helen. Mm-hmm. Um, but what kind of reactions do you get? Like, wh- wh- how have you seen this play out when people hear, hear these stories about what happened at the, you know, the culmination of the same type of horrible union battles that they dealt with? Because um, I know you, like, Done a lot of these miners exchanges and I just I just wonder mm-hmm. how that has looked and what kind of some of the reactions have been.
3: Well it's been interesting and from an Appalachian perspective, I've actually seen that reaction change in the last you know, I started this project in two thousand eleven. It's been about seven years. And I've literally seen what I've been at public meetings, people's reactions changing to from that question that I actually started the project with, uh, if we're not going to mine coal, what else can we do? Like I, I know a lot of people could just kind of approach that. from: We need some kind of, if it's not a mine, we need a factory, we need some kind of outside corporation to come in and save us. And I've kind of, I've seen that conversation change to, to people talking about, well, okay, what, what resources do we have locally? How can we incorporate businesses with a community center? How, how can we um, combine health care with local farming and local food? Um, all these kind of things that just literally didn't exist seven years ago have started. So I, I get some hope from that. I mean, they're small. None of them are paying union wages or employing the hundreds of people, potentially thousands of people that the mines once you But But I Republican do think that they're providing success. hope <laughs> that communities can survive post-cold, after Yeah. So I, I went off on a little bit of a tangent there. Um, but, why don't you restate the question, and maybe I can get, come back and <laughs> answer it a little bit better.
1: No, you you kind of got to it. I guess what I was just trying to get at is, like, um, you know, I don't know when Universal Health Care, I don't know what, did, did you say what year? Um Health. This universal health care bill passed in Wales or in the UK.
3: That was 1947.
1: Was that one of the earliest that you know of?
3: Yeah. Yes, but I really haven't looked at what's happened in in other European countries or other developed countries that that have universal health care.
1: It's bound to be pretty pretty early.
3: But I bet it's. But I bet it's. Early. I mean, that was World War II is kind of a whole turning point of, throughout Europe.
1: Yeah just like winning universal health care in 1947. Imagine how that changed the trajectory of all kinds of organizing and. Anyway. Yeah. Um, but that coming from minors, it just, it's, it seems, it makes so much sense given the black lung issues we're dealing with here now that we've talked about on the podcast quite a bit. Um,
3: mm-hmm.
1: That. You know, Wales is one of the countries where they've they all but um, figured out black lung, right? Like, miners were not getting black lung, like in Germany, and, right, Terrence?
3: Uh, exactly, yeah. And, and in fact, the the union themselves were the ones that were doing the, the inspections. Um, I mean, they had the coal board was there, but there was a union representative with the coal board representative doing inspections on doing the best same thing. So the the whole issue of falsified dust samples has been rampant in the Appalachian coalfields been documented since the nineteen nineties, but but I would argue probably rampant since before then. Um, just didn't exist in the U.S. partly because of the strength of, of the labor movement.
2: Yeah, we were um, me and Tom did a, a episode this weekend um, where we hit we we was about Harlan County, USA and um it's it's pretty interesting i um i didn't know this until very recently but one of the reasons why black lung sort of it wasn't scientifically recognized in the united states until the 1960s but um, one of the reasons it became so widespread um on a sort of industrial widespread scale throughout the middle of the 20th century was because of mechanization like before the, the continuous mining machine they would you know you'd go into a coal seam you drill holes into it and stick it dynamite in it and blow it up coal would fall down you know you get what they call the breaker boys or whoever would sort it out and put it on the lines and they'd send it out of the mine but once they mechanized the uh, the mines with mining machines um, it started kicking up so much dust and i i didn't realize that that was one reason, but another reason why that became widespread was actually because of the UMWA, it, John Lewis specifically. Uh, John Lewis specifically bargained away several uh, sort of key provisions for minor safety um, for mechanization. Uh, he made several deals in the middle of the 20th century with the coal industry um, to mechanize the industry. And, it, and I thought, you know, this, the story of the UMWA, if you put it up next to these sort of unions in the, in the United Kingdom, is probably pretty interesting because I don't know anything about the unions over there. But over here, the story of the UMWA is a constant decades-long um, just tragedy of the leadership always pretty much selling the rank and file uh, down the river – Um, for their own sort of enrichment and uh and you could argue that um that's one of the reasons why we are where we are today uh well i don't know we aren't really anywhere today because there's hardly any industry left but you know it's one of the reasons why you had this sort of um absurd uh, sort of coalition between the industry and labor against like environmentalists and other sort of interests um but yeah i don't know it's i i don't have a whole lot of love for the umwa uh that they they um were so explicitly anti-class warfare anti-socialist uh, anti-class consciousness of any kind um that they were only searching for short-term gains and in the end they uh they wound up i don't know screwing over quite a bit of pe- people i mean i i do you know obviously their union they've they've done some incredible things obviously i'm just saying that
3: um yeah, I would say that part of this, yeah, that's, that was definitely kind of part of my education. One of the big lessons that, that I learned and kind of big surprise for this project was that, you know, I kind of, as, as you know, actually one of the reasons I ended up moving to eastern Kentucky and being involved in Appalachia is I've been peripherally, um, you know, kind of a witness to the minor strike of the Pittsburgh strike. 1989 1990 right which just which is and was just impressed by you know at that point i was a little punk rock kid you know and i was was listening to groups like doa and MDC, and you know and any and and i was hearing some of those themes kind of echoed in the union member speeches and i was like yeah you know we gotta stick it to the stick it to wall street we gotta fight for the people and um and yet, yeah, you know, when you get when you dig deeper into that history, is it's really true? And you know, the 1948 by Coal Operators Association agreement that, that John L. Lewis was an architect of, I, I would say, is really a turning point for the union. That it really it was a, an alliance between the union and the, the large coal largest coal companies in the United States. And um, and although the miners that remained had relatively high wages and a good health care system. I mean, in the absence of a national health care system, John L. Lewis did actually create a miners health care system that worked for about a decade um, for every miner, where they had a miner's card, their own hospital. But it quickly crumbled because it was built on I would have you sand, boom and busty economy. Whereas in in Wales they took that idea of health care and moved it beyond a single industry into the national government. And they also took the idea of, uh, of capitalism and turned it on its head. The labor government said, no, the coal is a resource for the people, and it should be mined for the good of the people, and that, that good involves electricity, that good involves employment, and that good involves community amenities. So there are actually, you know, minors' welfare halls that are still places where people gather for music and um, anniversaries and family gatherings. You know, there's still kind of community centers there that were uh, created by by the union and have stayed kind of in the public sphere even after the, the uh, industry is gone. So that, that kind of legacy is really different than the, the capital hypercapitalist legacy in the United States where, you know, a handful of big corporations control things and um, resources are quickly privatized and if they're not returning profit to the shareholders, they're simply abandoned and are are not able to be used or accessed by the local community for any kind of public good.
2: You know, I I don't know if you had anything else to add, Tanya. I was just wondering, you know, um, if the things that you've seen in the last sort of five, you began the project in 2011, you said?
3: Yeah, I started shooting, well, I started filming in 2012, but I started writing about it in 2011. Um,
2: I, I was just wondering if the sort of, I don't know, collapse of the industry was uh, anything that you was, I don't know, if it was surprising at all to you, the speed with which it happened, um, you know what I mean, and if it, you know and what they had to say about that in in Wales because I don't know for us it seems like it was pretty pretty rapid I mean when I, I moved here in 2012 and it seems like in just in those six years I've never seen anything
3: quite yeah, like you saw this a huge I mean. loss of influence. Yeah, I, guess yeah, it I mean cool. I think it's, in some ways it's actually less dramatic in Appalachia than in Wales. because what happened in Wales was when Thatcher took control of the government in 1979 she was conservative to the Tory party. She started on the platform of privatizing all of the nationalized industries, So not just the coal mines, but the gas industry, the British Steel, uh, British Leyland, which was the big auto auto manufacturer, truck industry. All of those had been nationalized for, at that point, 30, 40 years. And she made it her point to privatize it. And she realized that if she was going to win that battle, she had to defeat the miners' union because that was the most powerful union. And so they put out a plan where they were going to close somewhere between 80 and 90 mines in the course of two years. And the majority of those mines were in South Wales. They were throughout the UK, but but a good 30 or 40 of those mines were in South Wales. And so what you actually saw was in the course of three or four years, 20,000 jobs left South Wales. Um, Over those about five years, there was a good... 50 or 60,000 jobs that, that left the, the United Kingdom as a whole. Um, so that was really dramatic. Um, and all of those, eventually all those assets were privatized and sold off to private corporations. The ones that weren't deemed to be profitable were turned over to forestry or to local government. Whereas in the U.S., which you saw, yes, starting around 2011 or 2000, well, you saw competition for natural gas, particularly in the, in the uh, utility market to provide electricity. And you saw really cheap gas from fracking combined with concerns over climate change and, and stricter environmental regulations. And so you ended up seeing, over the course of, you know, eight or 10 years, those same kind of job losses. And, um, and so I, I feel like it's interesting, I mean, both areas suffered the intense job losses. They suffered them approximately 30 years apart. You know, if you're going to be uh, hyper-political about this, I would say they both suffered them as a result of, of capitalism and neoliberalism. But on one hand, in the U.K., the job loss was literally around that 84-85 strike, and it was a big loss for the unions, and it was kind of the the end of, of the domination of the National Miners Union in the UK as being one, more, one of the most powerful political entities in that country. Whereas in the US, the labor had kind of been declining for years and years and years as, as a result of this, the uh, Coal Operators Association agreement. And, and Lewis agreeing to the mechanization that, that we talked about earlier. And so what you kind of saw was a move to mountaintop removal mining, in Appalachia, which was much less employment, much more destruction, problems with water quality, and you saw kind of jobs trickling away probably over 20 years, and, and, and a more steep decline just in the last decade that we've seen, but those jobs have really been, been trickling away you know, since 1980.
1: I guess it was pretty ballsy in 2012 to start a project called After Coal, at peak friends of coal time.
3: <laughs> you know, because I had seen, that, you know, being there since 1990, coal was actually on the decline in 1990, and then it, it hit a bit, little bit of a boom. It was a mini-boom, but a little bit of a boom around 2000, and particularly 2001, you know, after the September 11th terrorist attacks, there was concerns about uh, importing foreign oil, and, and, you know, coal had moved at that point from $30 a ton up to, some cases, $70, $80 a ton for, just for steam coal. We're not even talking about the metallurgical coal. Um, and so, so you really saw a different situation right around 2001, 2002, 2003. Um, but I think it was also pretty clear that the, the easy seams were, were gone. And, you know, most, I think one of the great things about living in Whitesburg is you that know, you can have lunch with a manager for, my, for the coal mine and kind of hear his opinion on what's happening with reserves, what's happening with regulations. And, and so I think from, from my time there, I was able to kind of get a real a real sense of what was going on and the fact that that, that, that decline was really going to continue. And, and the communities really had to figure out ways to get together and, and find resources to survive once that resource is, once the natural resource is coal as well.
1: So in all this time you poking around asking all these questions, you didn't pack any ass whoopings? (laughs) Nobody uh, took you to
3: task? Well, there's a few times, I I think I I was able to run fast enough. (laughs) That's my preferred could I could miss most of it.
1: Well, Tom, tell well, us... Well,
3: I couldn't run fast enough, uh, often I could make a joke. So.
1: Uh, can you tell people where they can get um, After Cold the Film and how they can maybe pre-order the book or get that when it comes out?
3: Sure. Yeah. You, know, uh, you know, probably the easiest way to get After Cold the Film is actually through the Apple Shop website. I, I produced it through Appalachian State University here, but um, Apple Shop's been a distributor and a partner on that. That's probably the... The easiest way is if you just do Appleshop.org, After Coal. You could also just do After There's a, a, a website that's got links to all of this. Um, and and then if you actually have a public library or um, a college, community college, After Cole is also available for streaming through Panopy. It's an educational distributor. So I signed a deal with them where they're... They're selling it to colleges, universities, and public libraries, so if you've got a public library, you can often use their account and password to access that the the documentary. The book is available through West Virginia University Press, so if you can just Google West Virginia University Press after poll, um, you can go through and order that book. And here's a secret, don't tell anybody, Um, if you do use After Coal in all caps as a discount code, you can actually get 20% off of the the sticker price on
1: there. Damn, Tribbly Pro Tips.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yep, Tribbly Pro Tips. After Coal is a a back promo code to to get 20% off only through the publisher's website, um, the uh, West Virginia University Press.
1: Well, if the boys don't have any more questions, unless you're going to tell us some rowdy Wattsburg uh, hot tub tales... We'll, we'll <laughs> catch you loose Yeah
3: well I'd tell you But I'd have to kill
2: you <laughs> We've probably heard them all Or lived them all ourselves
3: Yeah I was going to say You you all may have been there Yeah we are probably there <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: Well thanks so much for yeah. being on with us Tom
2: Tom it was great to talk to you again And um, mm-hmm. next time you're in town Please let us know And we'll hook up as they say
3: Exactly. Well, thanks so much for having me, and I'll definitely give you all a shout the next time I'm I'm heading your way.
1: All right, I can drop this advanced copy in the mail if you need it. <laughs> I'll send it to
3: you. Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm supposed to. I'm actually awaiting literally any day. I'm supposed to get a package of fifty of the final versions that don't have the advanced copy stamped Ooh, on them.
1: Oh, fancy. Um,
3: but I'm not sure when they're going to when to get it. I've got to send send Abby another email saying Where are my books?
1: Yeah. Well, watch pot never boils, so try to forget about it. Then it'll show up.
3: Exactly. <laughs> yeah, but I'm I'm glad that you got one, and I'm just I'm tickled to be on the Boys. So thank you all.
1: Glad to have you. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Tom. Bye. Yeah. No, take
3: care.
0: I just yeah. think it's topical because I work for them and I can do that. But then also, she did the op-ed, one of those fucking dumbass things in the Atlantic this week. And then she did the GoFundMe.
1: That really person. was unconscionable. Like, what? What did she? What did she call? How could she possibly have thought that was a good move? move? Like, people oh, really think I'm going to use my my great power to boost this person's ability to beg for money to pay for their health care.
0: It's fun. It's funny. I mean, it's like. I mean, maybe we should hot off unless we want to just start recording this, if y'all got another.
1: I, it's recording.
2: Um, We're live. Well, let's just kind of. Well, I'm trying to find the op-ed. You said it was in the I Atlantic? I haven't seen
1: the op-ed. Yeah. I haven't seen it. Maybe op-ed. we should. You want to
0: reconvene
2: tomorrow? <laughs> the Atlantic. And do it. Um, I'm not sure. If I'm read a, it, snacks. It's it's easy. Right? I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to. i mean, I'm, I'll
1: say it, Tom's like, it's an easy read. Right? Is it American
2: what? democracy is it's, in crisis? Yeah. It's got oh like god. a. It's got like an eagle with a sparkler
1: its No, it doesn't. Well, oh, no,
2: th- it's oh a matchstick. Matchstick. Oh my god!
1: Our democratic
2: <laughs> institutions and traditions are under siege. We need to do everything we can to fight back. Jesus Christ, this is so absurd. So wait, is she trying to do some sort of like um, comeback PR thing? Is that why in the same week she did this op-ed and she's like elevating some GoFundMe for? Oh wait, wait, wait. That that reminds me. So Obama came out for Medicare for, for all. all, and I don't give a fuck. Fuck him. But did she? No. <laughs> No, she's no, 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 no. So she, this, she's her have
0: not up. went further left in the league. She's going GoFundMe she's, yeah. she's of the of the opinion, obviously, that this country's future of healthcare is go fund me cancer
1: treatment. Literally, literally she I mean that's what she she has this platform, all these people are drooling over her and she shares a link. To GoFundMe, well, like this is the future of healthcare in this country. That's that's what she. And thinks. that
0: would be easy to explain away as just, oh well, you know, he started this me and like I'm just, you know, using my platform to boost or whatever. If not, why not just pay it? Well, also, yeah, well, I mean, that's obviously <laughs> yeah. The obvious answer just right. give
1: the man the goddamn money. But
0: also, what's interesting is, and I, I don't know if I've told this on this on this show or not, but when I worked for the Clinton Foundation, they give us a gave us a book called On Giving. <laughs> it's like bill clinton. mal's little red book but it's, it's bill clinton it really is i mean it is a red book he wrote it <laughs> heavy air quotes wrote it you know how like i say it's written by bill clinton and then in tiny prince got with some david that's a macarthur fellow or something <laughs> uh, but in that book he tells this when i was a liberal yes i think i told you on this thing You know, he tells this heartwarming story to warm up with about this lady that was a housekeeper of this hotel in New Jersey. And I think she was originally from Haiti. And she had saved up, you know, like $300,000 over her, like, 40-, 50-year career to retire on. And when she reached the end of her career, she gave all that money to fund uh, antiretroviral treatments for AIDS patients in Haiti. And, you know, he tells this sort of heartwarming story about this little girl that was dying of full-blown AIDS and she was so weak that they had to, like, carry her into the school and sit her in her desk and all this kind of stuff. And then how that, like, through this woman's generosity, that little girl went to pr- ended up, you know, getting healthy again and going to prom and all this kind of stuff, which is good, except for the fact that he's endorsing <laughs> poor and working people giving their life savings away to do this. <laughs> And not, you know. <laughs>
1: they literally purely are living on, like, heartwarming stories to put people in like a, it, yeah. like a, like a, like, they,
2: a feel
0: good they,
1: fuzzy. oh, yeah, they only, they're, it's like her only tactic is to somehow convince suffering people to feel warm and fuzzy for a minute just in the moment they're going to hit vote. <laughs> you know, it's like, how can I get them so that when they hear my voice, they feel a little warm and then they'll be like, <laughs> yeah And I like. That's,
2: that's, they're going to start handing you know? out fent patches yeah, that's, the,
1: all, that's, that's, her, that's her policy you're, platform You're going to
2: walk into a voting booth And the Clintons are going to be standing there Clapping people on the back And they're going to have fentanyl patches in their hand <laughs> And they're just going to hit you on the back And you're going to feel warm and fuzzy you can be like Oh fuck I'll, I'll <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: I'm with <a> her. <laughs> they I was with anybody out of you. And uh, And <laughs> what's interesting is in the, in this same tome, uh, <laughs> Bill Clinton goes on to big up like the Warren Buffetts in the world and all that stuff, not because they've used their wealth to do immeasurable good, but because they've pledged a certain portion of it to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Oh, man. <laughs> so when Warren Buffett finally dies, which is going to be like wow. probably next Thursday, because he's <laughs> 97 and a half, his wealth is not going to go to doing anything measurably good. It's going to go to Bill and Melinda Gates, who will probably use that money to like uh, give computers to <laughs> uh, kids in uh, Betsy Lane. Yeah, no, <laughs> I was going to say County. literally up the holler. Or... Yeah.
2: yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, there's there was an episode we did Tanya recently where me and Tom were looking. Um, we it was about philanthropy and it was about nonprofits and foundation spending. But it was like, what? Do you remember the number, Tom? It was like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is projected to invest like three billion dollars in philanthropy in the next like ten years or something like that. Yeah, twenty years. I can't remember what it was. Yeah. Um. it was funny though today they uh, there was a apparently I didn't know this until I posted it, but um apparently the Bill Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation like owns. The guard, you know, the website, The Guardian. Um, yeah. It's a British website, yeah. but they own, I guess, like the sort of global development sec- section of that website. <laughs> That's so weird. Yeah, and they use it uh, sort of exclusively as a like propaganda yeah, arm for their foundation. Exactly. And I didn't know this until somebody told me this on Twitter today, um, and they talked about it on the Citations Needed podcast. Interesting. Um, but. It was, uh, the reason I found that out was because I, I saw this thing on The Guardian that I posted it. It was Bill Gates saying, um...
1: That Trump was a nice person. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it's it's like he's like, oh, he's,
0: he's, uh, what do the, what they call A human being. Free thinking.
1: Nice human being. Open-minded.
2: Open-minded and a human being who cares about other human beings.
1: Yeah. No, I love you it. You can
2: it's, only it's, be it's... so
0: open-minded when you have holes in your brain. <laughs> <laughs> I guess <laughs> he is open-minded. <laughs>
1: I love it. It's the bu- it's the bush uh, line. Uh, you could probably have a beer with him. Yeah, he, it'd be funny. I could have a beer with that <laughs> yeah. guy. He's, pr- he's cool. I could have
2: a beer with him.
0: Yeah, <laughs> no. I'm like a racist rapist, I could probably get a kick. Out
2: Open-minded, like, like he's been trepan. You know, like trepanation. They drill a hole in your brain yeah. so that you're eternally high.
0: Did you oh see? Did you see? Speaking of Trump, before we get off that topic too quick, did you see? How he, the revelation came to light that after he had his tryst with Stormy Daniels, he got Ben Roethlisberger, the rapist quarterback of the Pittsburgh Steelers, to walk her. Like to is this in her book? To get like like the sh- the walk of shame or whatever. To like, get to, to like basically come get her from Trumps and then like what? Yeah,
1: transport her. Is this did she drop this in her book?
2: Yeah, she just wrote a memoir.
0: I don't know if that was from that or mm-hmm. not. I, I think sure saw it, tweet sure it was.
1: I tweeted with,
2: with, Chef's kiss. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was. Uh, she just wrote a memoir.
1: It was a tell all.
2: Uh, a lot of people, um, I kind of missed some, a lot of the news today because um, I had a lot of work to do, but it was like, it was that. It was the Stormy Daniels thing. And then there was um, the Kavanaugh stuff, which is all just a black pit of. Yeah. Uh, just absurdity. Uh Nah. Um, And... uh, Sick uh, shit. Yeah, yeah, just absolutely, absolutely crazy. Um, But, yeah, no, I I guess I didn't really think about this before, but um, Mitch McConnell actually, um, you know, sort of supported the White House into the Kavanaugh thing, or I guess he didn't, like, sort of... um, go against them and wanting Kavanaugh to be nominated but I guess now apparently he's trying to get this guy Judge Thapar uh, who is a, a I guess the um, he's like a district court judge or something like that here in Kentucky. Thapar is a very um, sort of one of these sort of like enlightened law people who just—he's very boring. He's just a very vanilla, just boring. Like he loves the law, he loves to read the law, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas like Kavanaugh is like a totally Trump, Trumpian guy. You know what I mean? Like he worked in the Bush administration. Like it makes rapist. no rapist, <laughs> rapist exactly. <laughs> yeah, he's he is totally in the Trump mold. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um. I guess I hadn't really thought about it before. Uh, it totally, it yeah, it totally um, just rankles the lib's feathers that a guy like Kavanaugh is going to be on the Supreme Court. Um, whereas, like, if the par actually gets, if they actually do withdraw Kavanaugh's nomination which i'm sure they won't I'm, it sounds like the white house is doubling down in fact yesterday they literally said that they said we will not be withdrawing his nomination in fact if anything we are doubling down because they think that going into the midterms that this is what they want like there's they are going to use this to say like look the libs are trying to take away they're trying to stop uh, us from su- from uh feeling the supreme court with our nominees and everything so get out there and vote etc cetera, etc cetera. Oh, so good luck with that uh, not that any of it fucking matters, any goddamn. Look, way. none of it matters. <laughs> none of it. None of it fucking matters. I mean, it's all bad from top to bottom. The whole goddamn system is rotten. Um, so that's how you really feel. <laughs> Do I'm fucking not mad. Vote. I'm, I'm, I, I, not- no, I'm. am I'm, I'm fucking over this shit. I'm fucking over it. Fucking over I'm like this far. I'm like um, 400 Patreon subscribers away from. Quitting this whole shit and building bombs in my basement, like that's how close we are. Our our
1: our best publicity is going to be when you end up on (laughs) WYMT. Because they've raided your fucking they, bunker.
2: And you've got your. It's like this picture of me and my hair's all like this. And I'm just like.
1: They'll interview me and Paul will be like, he seemed fine. I don't
0: know. In the back of my head, I would be thinking, he didn't seem
1: fine. <laughs> he ne- we never suspected a thing. Oh, yeah.
2: <clears throat> Anyways. Anyways. Uh, what else is going on? Y'all got. Y'all. Uh, how's y'all's week been? It's only Tuesday. I guess. It
1: feels like. <laughs> fucking Thursday, dude. It's been a long fucking week, and it is Tuesday.
2: It absolutely does, Jeez
1: Louise. Um,
2: but uh, yeah, no, I'm trying to think of anything else that happened over the weekend. Um, I feel like I didn't really have a weekend. No, the
1: Emmys happened.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I don't How's know. that? I don't
1: know. I have no <laughs> idea. All I saw was that somebody proposed to his girlfriend uh, in his speech really yeah how romantic <laughs> you know a sucker for a love story um I have no idea what else happened
2: s- look Hillary Clinton would like you to know that the legitimacy of our, of our elections is in doubt there's Russia's ongoing interference in <laughs> she's Trump- not wrong <laughs> it's doubt. Yeah, she's not wrong in the sense <laughs> in the greater sense <laughs> <laughs> there's voter suppression um blah 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 the third, third the president is waging war on truth and reason Earlier, look! Look at this! Look at this! Look at this! Earlier this month, Trump made one hundred twenty-five, one hundred and twenty-five false or misleading statements in one hundred and twenty minutes. <laughs> She said that? Yeah. Hillary <laughs> Clinton said that.
1: Who is she paying to... She's got some fucking... Uh, she's
2: relying on the Washington Post. Uh, to date, according to the Washington Post fact checkers, Trump has made 5,000 false or misleading claims while in office and recently has averaged 32 a day. <laughs> <laughs> only se- only seven fewer a day per, than I
0: did. What,
1: well, yeah, what, what do you think it would cost to have somebody track Tom Sexton? <laughs> that's really...
0: I Y'all want to do this? Y'all want to do this again? <laughs> Step <laughs> through me. Step <laughs> to me. It made for great
2: radio. <laughs> yeah, I
0: got people all over right to yeah, Trump's gonna lives. be doing
2: that at every campaign stop next in 2020. You don't believe my story? He gets his buddy mad on the phone, folks. <laughs> 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 uh, just ask Jeff in Trump's Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff. <laughs> yeah, he phones him and he holds his phone up to the his cell phone up to the mic. <laughs> Listen, folks, you heard him. He said he's got a pet bear. You said he. You, you heard him. <laughs> <it>. No collusion. <laughs> 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 Isn't it funny that like the week we did that episode, there was like a th- uh, more than two. I saw videos of people in Russia, like... Petting bears. Petting and bears like and hanging out with weird them. throwing snow on them thing. And they're not even bears like we have here. Like we have black bears. Yeah, they're like fucking massive A black bear that you might,
0: like, it would get you, but, like, you could, like, maybe... Put up some kind of a fight. These yeah. Russian bears, no. like eight hundred pounds, fucking
2: fast as a that
0: running your, yeah. Russian bears. That's
1: what your friend said about the bear. He's like, oh, it wasn't big. It's about two hundred fifty pounds. Yeah,
2: it wasn't one of those Russian bears.
1: <laughs> yeah. like it was a big old boy. Yeah.
0: It goes up there on the mountain, does whatever it does, and when
2: it's hungry, it comes down our knees. When we can't trust what we hear from our leaders, export experts, and news sources. We lose our ability to hold people to account, solve problems, comprehend threats, judge progress, and communicate effectively she with one another. Does she is woefully...
1: Doesn't she have anybody she's paying to tell her that nobody gives a fuck about any of this? Like, everybody already fucking knows this? I think if you took so a confused.
0: Hillary Clinton uh, tissue sample, you'd find... <laughs> well, for one, you'd find uh, you'd find like some sort of heavy metal that has... <laughs> That's why she like was beryllium. Fallen. Yeah, she's, <laughs> she's yeah, yeah. She's, she's fucking
2: beryllium. Poisoning. She's got beryllium poisoning. <clears throat> I I just think it's hilarious. Our institution. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's hilarious that the person who ran the State Department and, and probably covered up just some heinous heinous acts that this country committed is like, when we can't trust her, we hear from our leaders. Experts and news—it's just you know—it's again, it just shows you. This is the perfect distillation of the sort of liberal Trump dream reality versus the, or I'm sorry, the liberal like dream reality versus the sort of Trump nightmare dystopia. And like combined, they create this totally disorienting. Nightmare. You know what I'm saying?
1: I'm not saying that most people are self-aware because most people are not self-aware. Most people cannot really see their own <laughs> shit. You know, it's we, a defense we, yeah. this. It's But, but this is next level withdrawal. you right. Yourself. You know, like this is like. <laughs> I mean, uh,
2: you're absolutely right. I mean, like you'd have to be a psychopath to not be able to. Well, you know, actually, you don't. You just have to be someone who's craving and wants power. In any way that they can get well, it. Well,
0: and to be fair, and, and, and it's like, I don't think the left really gives them enough credit in terms of their influence. Like, you know, in our, like, little Twitter echo chamber, like, we all think that, like, you know, these people's influence is on the way and all this stuff, but there's a lot of shit libs still out there that are true believers in the Clintons and Oh, stuff. this is
2: what I'm saying. Like, the the world beyond Trump is this... The World Beyond Trump is Kristen Gillibrand... Basically dressing up Hillary Clinton's campaign in something a little, a little more palatable to the DSS. Yes, yeah, 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 and not paired with one of the most insufferable fucking personalities this country that's has ever existed. That's ever, ever existed. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It, Wait, it's who so are you entitled. Is the
1: most insufferable? Kill- Hillary, Hillary Clinton. Hillary? Yeah. Nah. It's just, it's. I mean, like, just to you know? I don't know if this will be end up looped in with the Tom episode, but to think that miners were on the parliament floor advocating for. Healthcare, universal healthcare in 1947, and Hillary with all her fucking like <laughs> steel is sharing
0: could her not even, could not even give <laughs> the most banal
2: fucking sock dim concessions like the fight for 15, which is well. See what's happened is this country has moved so far right in the past 20, 30 years that like I think somewhere along the way we thought. Well, if we're really going to stop that tide, if we're really going to stop that trend, we have to not work with the Hillary Clintons of the world, but at least, like, give them the benefit of the doubt. And the, the truth of the, the matter is, is that this person is just as bloodthirsty and genocidal and, um, a, you know, repressive as Trump. It, that she just has a fucking different last name. That's just, this, that's all there is to it. That's all there is to it. And... You know,
0: it's it makes inter- me
1: feel warm and fuzzy. <laughs>
0: it's inter- I, was, I,
1: I do
2: feel
0: warm and fuzzy because I've... Oh, go ahead, Tom. I'm sorry. I was just going to talk about the, the Clintons' kind of weird elitism that exists. Like, when I worked for the Clintons, they had a vision of themselves, and this is explicitly stated. Like, this is not like conjecture. That they wanted to re-envision Camelot, like the Kennedy family, but, like, insert their family into that mold. Right. Like, that was their inspiration for creating this sort of, like... Dynasty that would live on through Chelsea's kids and all this Ugh. kind of stuff. And I can recall one night I was driving a Dodge Astro van around.
1: <laughs> the details that you claim to are just are really well big volumes for and, your ability to tell a story.
0: And this vehicle was a guy named Rick Ville that was the head of some kind of union, I forget, a longtime friend of the Clintons. And um, one of Hillary's brothers, I think it was. He, I don't know I forget which one it was either Hugh or Tony or I don't know I forget which one <laughs> and these this friends of Hugh's that were like kind of like the rough around the edges friends that you don't really bring around polite society like you know all this kind of stuff like a little I don't want to say trashy but I feel like I can say that <laughs> yeah you, you know, can say it I can say that <laughs> And they were berating me, like, not not Hugh or this Rickville guy or, like, you know, anybody that was, like, tied, like, knew the cleanse or whatever, but, like, the friends. Like, the entourage was berating me, like, treating me like the help, and, like, the woman was just making fun of me and stuff like that. And I just got so razzed that I ran a stop sign. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and the woman, the, the trashy woman, <laughs> questioned... Was like, you fucking idiot. Don't you know who you've gotten this? Like, just like totally bootlicking their fucking, like her dumb ass brother and all this stuff. (laughs) And like, her brother was like, hey don't worry about leave him alone he'll stop twice at the next one and uh, (laughs) it said and then he's like and I was like okay that was kind of cool but then he was like also like my sister's the secretary of state if a cop pulls us over what the fuck are they gonna say to us and it's like driving these people around they're constantly aware that like they're like hanging on the coattails of the power you know what I mean yeah And it's so kind of obnoxious, but like, anybody out there that thinks the Clintons are just like this rags to riches, like relatable people, (laughs) couldn't be more fucking wrong. They fucking suck. They've always sucked. And uh, they're bad tasting
2: friends, too. This is funny. Um, uh... I'm
1: going to have to cut out of here. My car's in the shop and my ride's here. Okay. So I feel like I'm begging. I can't be choosy.
2: All right. Well, one more thing right before you go. I was going to say, you know, you said this is a total projection, a classic example what did you say it's like she has no ability to self-analyze herself yeah or she just
1: can't say herself <clears> at all no
2: this is really funny because she says when he says when trump says that haitian and african immigrants are from shithole countries that's impossible to misunderstand <laughs> did she so, blank up the eye in her like writing uh, no she put if, it in um, <laughs> she's <if> said-
0: <laughs> If Trump says they're from hole. shoot-hole countries, no, yeah.
2: they're from crap-hole countries. I don't talk like that. <laughs> well, it's really funny, though. It's like, again, this totally gets at the sort of liberal mind. This is the liberal psychology perfectly sort of explained for you. If you really want to stick up for Haiti, she's really got to answer for the fact that, like, the United States literally invaded Haiti in the early 90s. Under Bill Clinton, right, and you know, and she's involved, been involved in toppling governments in Honduras and a uh, uh, feminist-led governments, female-led governments, I might add. Yeah, you all yeah. Y'all that. No, are, you know, it's the. It's like, you're right, Tanya. It's, it's like
0: fine she
1: can't to kill even ground
2: women if you're Hillary Clinton. Yeah, 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 yeah. She can't even like. It's so fascinating. Like she can't even see.
1: Uh, I just—it's like you know everything she does. It's like a very calculated move. Like it's like you know when someone asks her an off-the-cuff question, she can't even answer it because she hasn't pulled the fucking thing, or she just passes out. uh, Yeah. Like, what kind of ice cream do you like? <laughs> <laughs> she <But it's,
2: laughs> hits the floor.
1: short circuit. Brilliant.
0: Brilliant levels just, too high in the blood.
1: <laughs> What's truly concerning here is is what highly paid consultant wrote this. At, oh, at, yeah. And, like, how this polled. But what's truly concerning here <laughs> oh, yeah. Trust is that me. they don't know, put out anything. that no, means no. test. this polled well. Whatever yeah. she wrote here, she it was it was fucking workshop to god because it, it should have come out the day after he was elected or something. You know what I mean? Like right, are you right. insane? Like what is this? You're bullshit? right. Like, it was insane? totally
2: crafted by a PR company. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And so the fact that this is this is polling well with people and people are responding well to this, that's what's truly concerning. Fuck Hillary, and yeah. it's like who? What the
2: fuck? Yeah, no. It's people are getting people are lining up. They're getting ready for the 2020 election. um, You know, it's going to be hell.
0: It's going to be... It's going to (laughs) be... It's going to be the human version of the Kentucky Derby. There's going to be like 20 horses in a fucking muddy-ass rainy race all trying to get to the finish line.
2: Yeah, seriously. I mean, uh, you know, if there's anything you can take from this, you know, it is hell. It's uh, totally dystopic, and it makes me feel not warm and fuzzy. But um, honestly you know if you're like me and you you hear all that you you read all that and it's just like yeah this is the this is the worst possible timeline give up electoral politics i'm 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 saying just give it up just realize that like this is a bourgeois state Created for bourgeois interests, and we have to smash it.
0: We have to put put it down.
2: We have to fucking put it down. We have to take Show it out. Show up at back your local
1: courthouse, kick everyone's ass.
0: And say and say, and say the budget. And say yeah. in the least in the least defensive Somali accent you
2: can muster.
1: Yeah, the I,
3: cap- am the the, I am the
1: captain
2: now. I am the captain now. That's what I'm going to call this episode:
1: pirate I, or bust, <laughs> bitches. <laughs> pirate or bust. Yeah.
2: All right. All anyways, right. Uh, we'll I let you scoot go. Get out of here. All right. Well, thanks for uh, the interview and um, check us out on Patreon, everybody. Uh, Patreon, p a t r e o n dot com.
1: Patreon. Slash
2: Workers' yeah. Party.
1: Listen, if we don't get a, like sponsorship soon, some kind of advertisement that we're into, I think we should really go the route of willy where we start talking shit about company well we already do that just like really dragging brands and they have to pay us to stop that's i think i really think he was on to something
2: that's a good idea think, i got we'll us from to my stop tape. <laughs> yeah yeah i got beryllium poisoning from gatorade
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: all right we'll see you all later
1: Bye bye